Good morning. It's really good to be here with you this morning. My name is Nathan Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here, and um, I'm happy to be here with you. Um, what, I, what I'm hoping for from this series, and it's something that we've been looking at um, for several months as we've been planning this series, is to help us understand where, where does our identity come from? Who are we? And to answer that question very simply, and in the truest way that we know how, and that is to say that your identity comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. So welcome, if you're watching us online today or later this week, we're glad that you're joining us here as well. I believe that identity is such a complicated issue for us, and we can't, it's such a big topic that we can't cover everything there is to say about identity in, in these four weeks of this series that we're in. And so if you would like, a, we, we've created a resource page for you, okay? A, reso- a resource page for you, dwocc.com slash messages, and we put uh, books or podcasts or information that you can go in, you can look at to say, what are some places where I can find what my God-given, Jesus-centered identity, what does it look like? Where does it come from? And so you can go there, and we've tried to resource you in some ways that might be helpful in this conversation for yourself or with someone that you love. Because I believe that misplaced identity is the single most broken thing in every child, in every teenager, every man and woman in our culture today. I remember um, this happens a lot to me. Whenever I'm at, at a place in public, you know, maybe it's at the gym, you know, a place that maybe you frequent and you get into conversation with people over time, I'm always waiting for the question for someone to ask me, what is it that you do, do for a living? All right, I'm wait- I actually dread the question. And because then I have to tell them what I do for a living. Um, Not because like I'm ashamed of what I do or that I'm embarrassed about what I do. I love getting an open door to talk about Jesus. That's not the the issue. The issue is that their response is usually generally very awkward. All right. So usually it's, um, I I say, well, you know, I'm I'm a pastor, you know, or I'm a minister, or, and, and usually it's one of two things easily. One is, um, oh, really? And then they kind of ask questions, and, they're all, and, and everyone's always related to a minister, by the way. Every single one of you has a pastor in your family, whether you know it or not, because that's all, immediately what I get. Um, a lot of time from salesmen, too, which is kind of interesting. But, all right, so it's either conversation or it's the, they, they immediately stop cussing. I mean, out of the gate. All right, they're like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, I said this, yeah, it's, I heard, it's fine. You know, and then they just, they're, look for, they're looking for the nearest exit, and then they're gone. All right, so that's what I get. So, so I kind of dread the question. All right, well, what is it you do for a living? All right, because I don't want people to identify me and, and who I am based on what I do for a living. All right, that's not what I want. The truth is, for years, I, I really struggled with this. That I labeled myself as, a, as a, a pastor or as a leader. And, and I really believed that's who I was. And that's how God, when he looked at me, that's what he saw me. And that's what he wanted out of me was, was my was ministry and leadership. And, and it really hit my heart several years ago when I realized th- that's not who I am. And we talked about this last week, if you want to go on our website and listen to, to Kevin's message, that, that I'm a son of God. I'm his kid. I'm adopted into his family, and I am his son who he loves, and that is the only thing that I truly am. 
And I want you to know that about you, too. You see, our culture lies to us. Our culture lies to us. Our culture tells us that, that others give me value. That's what our culture says, that other people will give you value. Right? The relationships that you're in, the other people from whom you seek a, a, their perspective or their approval, that other people give you value. And, and other people and the way they value you, that's your identity. That's what you put on. That's what you take on. And the truth is that each of us, every single person in this room, has fallen victim to that broken and flawed premise that other people tell you who you are. We're all broken, every single one of us. And it is our sovereign God, your heavenly dad, your father in heaven, who's the only one that ever gets to tell you who you are. You are a son or a daughter of a God who loves you deeply. And he's the only one that will ever get to tell you who you are. But our culture's lied to us. And that's why what I want to tell you today is so important. Because here's the truth. It is in Jesus that you are known and valued. It is in Jesus that you are known and have value. I'm going to start out today in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 that John tells us that this, the narrative of Jesus' life. He tells us an event where Jesus meets a woman at a well. And I'm going to ask you to turn with me to John 4. We're going to have it on the screen, but if you have a phone, if you have your Bible with you, we have Bibles at the hub. They're free. We just want to get God's word in your hand, even though it's also on the screen here. We're going to start in 4. Jesus meets up with this woman, and we're going to start in verse 7. Okay? This is what it says. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So the Jews hated the Samaritans and long story short, the Samaritans were a people group who shared a Jewish heritage, but had intermarried with other races and, and had mixed their religion with other religions. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were inferior. They were an inferior race, not to mention that Jewish men would never approach a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman in any kind of public way. So Jesus, even just by addressing this woman, is busting through several cultural barriers, several no-nos, all right? He shouldn't be talking to her, but he engages her. Look in verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so they don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. See, this woman that Jesus meets is, is looking to satisfy a need that particular afternoon. She's thirsty. She's thirsty. 
and she's looking to satisfy a need. Have you ever asked God? I'm certain that many of you have. Have you ever just sat down to ask God, God, would you just give me this need that I feel that I have? Would you just help me to not be lonely? Help me to find someone. Heal this thing that, that, just, that just hurts me or hurts my heart. God, just take it away. God, would you fix this relationship? God, would you do this thing? I have a need, and God, would you provide it? You, have, you and I have those conversations, some of us often. But this woman's expressed need, which for, in her instance, was for water, right, was actually a symbol of something very broken that she needed spiritually. It pointed to a spiritual brokenness, and Jesus is going to point this out to her. Look in verse 16. It says, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. You see, Jesus looks this woman in the eyes and he says, it's not water that you're looking for. It's not water that you're looking for. Because the truth is, this woman had been looking for her value and a deep longing from her sexual experiences. And I believe that one of the biggest pieces of our broken identity, if broken identity is the single most just gnawing, broken thing for every child and every teenager and every man and woman, then, then I also believe that sexuality is one of those biggest broken pieces of that identity issue, our search for identity in sexuality. Right from the beginning, God gave us sex. And almost right away, we broke it. So now I'm going to take us from the woman at this well in John chapter 4 that Jesus is talking to. And we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of Scripture, of God's story. All right, we're going to look in Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to read, see this in verse 26. All right, And we're going to come back to Jesus' inter Jesus's interaction, but he's just uncovered something very potent and very real in her life. And I think it's real in our lives too. Look, in Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then fast forward in, 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 chapter, in chapter two, after God formed Adam, we get to see a little bit more of the detail of God forming Adam. And then he, he sees that Adam needs a partner, all right? And so he forms and he creates Eve. And then look in Genesis chapter two, in this, verse 23, all right? The story continues. Now the man said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So let me point out three things really quickly here this morning about your identity. 
And the first one is you are known and valued because you are unique. And you say, what in the world does this have to do with sex? It has everything to do with sex, which has everything to do with the brokenness of our identity. Right? You are known and you are valued because you are unique. Nothing else in creation was created in the image of God except for you and me. Nothing else. He spoke other things into existence. When you go back through Genesis chapter 1 and God spoke, let there be light and let there be water and let, and let things and animals um, teem in the waters and let vegetation grow. God spoke these things. This is his sovereign, just uh, uh, unlimited power. But when God came to make you, he got into the dirt. God took dust and he breathed life he, the breath nothing else has the breath of life that god gives and he got into the dust and he got into, he got his hands dirty when he made you you're unique there's nobody else that shares the identity that god gave you but there's more God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit have existed for all eternity. I don't understand it. Maybe someday that we will. But when God, God, when God says, let us make mankind in our image, God the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ the Son are sharing perfect unity a perfect blessed unity and, and intimacy and connectedness in relationship. It's perfect and it's whole. You see it in Genesis chapter one when God says, let us make mankind in our image. You see it in John chapter one as John likes to mirror Genesis chapter one as he starts to tell the narrative of Jesus' life. He says, in the beginning was the word, Jesus and the word was with God, and the word was God. John tells us the Trinity, the, this three persons that, that but, but is one God, they enjoy beautiful unity together and perfect intimate relationship with one another. In John chapter 14, Jesus looks at his disciples and said, if you've looked at me, you've seen the Father, we are one. Even in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks about Jesus' church as he's talking about husband and wife relationship. Paul talks about Jesus and his church sharing that thing. Now you say, well, what does that have to do with sex? It has everything to do with sex. So God created man and woman and marriage to experience, listen, to experience this intimacy and this closeness and this unity. That's what it tells you. When they became one flesh, some commentators will tell you differently, that's sex. And it's an expression of God's love and intimacy that he shares with the Trinity that he also wanted to share with us. The unity, the, the, the safety, the compatibility, the relationship that God shares in, in himself. He wanted you and I to have an expression of that as well. It's a gift. Therefore, a relationship with our creator 
is the deepest level of intimacy that you and I could ever experience. That's unique. You are unique and valued. And sex serves as a gift, reminding us of God's love for us. Now, you might think, well, that makes sex sound really weird. Okay. Yeah, it's a little awkward. That sex serves as a gift from God, reminding us of God's love in relationship to us. That's the truth. Weird or not. Here's the second thing. That, that for, for you to understand your identity is that you are unique and you are known and you are valued. You are, un, you, are a, you are so separate from everything else God created and he loves you deeply. But here's the second thing, that we have a broken view of our value, don't we? We have a broken view of our value. And what the problem is that you see all over in our culture and it's always been this way from the beginning is that we think that we can go and we can create our own value, that we can go and we can get our value affirmed from someone else if we could find it. Now remember, in Jesus, you are known and valued. But in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the Garden of Eden. And Eve and then Adam believed that they could go hack out of this garden an identity of their own. They thought, what God gave me just doesn't seem like it's enough. I think I could find something better. And sin entered the human heart. And sin promises, okay, yeah, yeah, son, daughter of God, if that's who you really are, you're going to find better value from someone else. Someone or something else can give you the value that your heart really seeks. What you're really looking for is intimacy to feel good, to have someone hold you, touch you. Go find that in someone else and you'll be satisfied. See, that's what sin entices us to. And sexuality was designed for just that. It was a gift of intimacy. But it was not intended to give you your identity. And church, listen, this is where our culture has fractured and our understanding of who we are. This is where the church and, and followers of Jesus, have our identity has been broken because we believe that we can find who we are in sexuality or the sexual attraction to someone else or if we are sexually attractive to someone else. But your sexuality is not who you are and it is not what you are. You've been lied to. We've all been lied to. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Oh, Paul goes right back. Guys, Paul goes right back to Genesis and when his heart is beating for the Roman church. In, Genesis, or in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. See, Paul goes back to creation for our understanding of who God is. He says, go all the way back to the beginning so that you understand and know who God is and how he sees you. But listen to what he says after that. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. 
but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being or birds or animals and reptiles. See, people's worship was broken. And they started to fashion for themselves an identity in God and in, in things that they could create and see and touch and feel and experience. People created to, to worship God and God alone. People like you and I created to know that we have value in God and in God alone. People that were created to know and then to embrace that perverted their worship and it became broken. And church, let me tell you this. When you don't know who you are in relationship to God, you don't know who you are. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts and to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and in worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. God's view of us has never changed. You are sought after and you are loved and you are valued. But somewhere early on in, this, in the history of our ancestors' hearts, and it has infected us with the same sickness, we have developed a lower view of ourselves. We have developed a lower value for ourselves. And therefore, we have a lower view of sex as well. And when your identity drifts, there's one thing that is very eager to fill the void, sexuality. And we filled that void as a people, and many uh, sincere, clever, and broken ways. You see, we talk about, um, we say, so we go, well, let's, just, let's talk about sex for a minute. Let's, let's, let's do that. Let's, we, we say that, you know, um, sex is just an expression of love between two people. And yes, that's true. But let me, tell, let me paint this picture for you. Judaism, Islam, Christianity, three of the world's main faith systems, though I wouldn't say Christianity is a faith system, but for the sake of this argument, we'll say that it is, have all from the beginning denounced any sex outside of a committed marriage relationship. All three of those major world faiths do. And we look at it today and we say, well, it wasn't that nice. How old-fashioned of them. How simple then it was. But now, I mean, come on. But you know the truth that it is? Sex, why, why does God say wait to have sex until you are married to the person you committed yourself to? Why, why would God say that? Why would he be such a prude? Well, here's a simple, it's actually quite simple. Because if you're having sex with someone that you have not, that you're not married to, you are engaging in something that is supposed to connect you for life. 
as one flesh. But you've not committed to that. So why do I need a piece of paper that tells us that we love each other? Oh, you don't. But until you've looked into the eyes to another person and said, I choose you and you only forever, then you can have sex with that person and you can be with that person and any time you want, you can choose to get out of bed, put on your clothes and walk out the door. No, but that's not how God treats you. He's committed. He said so. He treats you like that. He's given you himself. He went to the cross, okay? He went to the cross and died for you. The highest level of commitment and intimacy and, 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 and knowledge of your heart. He's committed. He's all in. He's not going anywhere. So don't treat sex with a lower view than how God has treated you. You know, we say, well, we have sex with the people that we're dating or pornography. It's a rampant issue, billion-dollar-a-year industry. Trafficking, sexual abuse, we even, we even draw labels to ourselves and we, and, and we call ourselves straight or gay or homosexual or bisexual or pansexual. And we label ourselves as if to say, this is who I am, searching to fill a void and tying a, a lifestyle or a sexual choice to identity, which it was never meant to do. We, try, we have broken sex in marriage. If don't, church, don't, don't, don't mishear me. Just because you may be married, one man and one woman for life, does not mean that you have sex figured out in the way that God designed it. Because we use sex to manipulate our husbands or our wives. We withhold it. We abuse it. See, we're all broken in some way. And then there's the special cases of a few of us who say, well, now, I've always, I've always had God's view of sex. And I've kind of got my thinking aligned with him on this one. And the truth is, you just look down in judgment on other people who are just broken in different ways than you're broken. See, we may claim to know God but when it comes to this, be careful because your thinking may become futile and darkened and you don't even know it. See, we've turned sex into an ultimate thing in our culture that we worship, don't we? And I want you to remember something today. You were made in the image of God and we get to experience sex. But we pretend that we were made in the image of sex. And then we get just to search around and define how we want to experience God. In Jesus, you are known and valued. And that's the only place you're going to get it. Let me tell you this. Sex is a gift. 
It's a choice. And this is the, one of the hardest things for me to say to you here today. Sex is a gift, it's a choice. Sex is not a mandate. Did you know that? You are not required to do it. And it's not your right to do it. It is a gift. But church, listen from my heart to yours, from God's heart, your heavenly Father who created how this works best in its truest form. If our sex cannot be offered to God as worship and aligned to the way that he says it should be experienced, then by his strength and by his power and by his Holy Spirit, we forego sexuality. We set it aside trusting in the one, the one Heavenly Father who is far greater and far more fulfilling than any sex we will ever get from another person. Jesus came to reclaim God's value for his sons and daughters. That's the third thing. Jesus came to reclaim the value that I think we have lost in our hearts when we married identity and sexuality. But Jesus came to reclaim you. So he comes up to this woman, all right, and they start talking at the well there in John chapter 4. And he does something that's a little surprising in the middle of this conversation. He just says, go grab your husband. He knows, right? And she said, well, I don't have one. Like, oh, that's true. You've been with five men, and the one that you're sleeping with now, you're not even married to. And did you see her, her response? You have to read through John chapter 4, all right? See her response. She's like, oh, dear. <laughs> you know, that got dark fast. That was kind of her response. Oh, dear. All right, you're, you're for real. So what she attempts to do is divert the conversation. You'll see this when you read it later, okay? She diverts the guy. She's like, I don't want to talk about my sexual issues. Let's talk about worship. So she does. So she kind of tries to flip the conversation towards worship, and she asks Jesus some questions. Well, tell us, tell us how would you end this centuries-old debate between you Jews and us Samaritans about what it really, where the proper place to worship God is? She's like, I don't want to talk about sex. Let's talk about religion instead. All right. So Jesus, what do you think about what, what, what's this, what does proper worship look like? And Jesus' response is great, and you'll see this when you read it. All right, John chapter four. He says, Listen, neither have it right. You have approached this conversation, you've approached me, Jesus said to this woman, and you've approached me with the wrong, completely the wrong premise. See, your broken idea of worship, your broken idea of who I am and who God says you are, your broken understanding of God is linked to your broken identity, my dear daughter. Because you don't know who you are. And you don't know who he says that you are. And therefore, you don't know him at all. And then he looked look at his response to her. She tries to close down the conversation because it's, it's awkward, all right? Listen to what he says. Verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, 
I am he. I think that you have a heavenly father who's speaking to your heart right now. In the midst of your clouded understanding of worship. In the midst of our broken ideals about what identity looks like and how we find it in sexuality. I think you have a heavenly father who's talking to you right now. It's him. Jesus is the only one that can resurrect your heart. Resurrect your broken view of worship, your misunderstanding of who he says you he is, and your broken identity. He's the only one that can resurrect that. Church, sex can and never will do that for you. Never. Jesus can redeem your sex. Because in that area, we are all broken and carry brokenness with us. But Jesus can redeem anything. And he can forgive, and he can redeem, and he can restore, and he can make everything new. Let me ask you this question. What broken sexual identity do you need to give over to God this morning? What is it? And would you just give it to him? Surrender it to him and say, Father, if you want to call him, he is your father, he loves you. God, I've hung too much of myself on pornography. I've hung too much of myself on a sexual relationship that is not aligned with what God says is true and right and best. God, I have used sex in my marriage as a, as a weapon, as a tool, but not as a gift to my spouse and as worship to God. What is it? Why don't you just give that over to him today? He will offer you a resurrection and value and identity that no one else can. And he is the cure for the searching heart that is in every single one of us. Pray with me. Father, we're your sons and daughters. Father, right now, I guess I can only speak for myself that I receive my identity. I receive who you say that I am. I ask for your forgiveness because my own heart and my mind have been darkened and futile over the years when it comes to sexuality and identity. God, forgive me. May I know you and know that I am known by you fully and completely. And find everything that my soul thirsts for in you, Jesus. I love you. Amen.